You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bette, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty LaPaul. Broken record, broken record, broken record, broken record, broken record. Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. I'm Ben Rimmelauer. Thank you. And I'm here with my lovely co-host, Daniel Nolan. Oh, hey, y'all. Today's guest is Tony-winning lyricist and director Scott Whitman, here to talk about Sinatra at the Sands. Scott Whitman, together with composer Mark Shaman, won the Tony for Best Score for Hairspray and was nominated for a 2019 Academy Award for The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns. Whitman and Shaman also collaborated on the Broadway musicals Catch Me If You Can and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, as well as songs for Smash and Martin Short Fame Becomes Me. Which Scott also directed, yeah. along with Patti LuPone on Broadway and every other solo show Patti has done since 1992, each and every one of them, the greatest night in, in show, show business history. history. Asterisk. <laughs> Scott also directed Bridget Everett's Rock Bottom at Joe's Pub and the Jackie Curtis Kaleidoscope Jukebox Jackie at La Mama. Scott's going to chat with us about more of his work downtown and uptown and the live show business treasure that inspired so much of his career, Sinatra at the Sands. Ugh, today's been a big day for me. It's the first time I've left the house in like three days. Yes, God. So this is my question. Because like my response to that was so like, oh, I love that. Yeah. And, I mean, are we just, like, the two, like, bulimic girls that, like, compare notes on, like, how do much weight they've lost? Enable like, each other. Or do we just, like, get, like, our, like, it's each other's, I, I like, think it's a beautiful tourist solitude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um... Because my question was going to be, like, how, like... Do, like, I feel like I'll say things like that and people... Well, I don't know. With me, I'm weird because, like, I think people think of me as being so extroverted that, like, right. they don't, they're not on the lookout for, like, isolation patterns. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I feel like I can imagine you saying that and people being like, Daniel, I'm worried. Right. Or when I usually say that, people are like, well, that's okay. You know, you need time to recharge sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> this is not, like, me needing this every now and then. This is, like, what I need most of the time. I feel like if I go out... I need minimum three nights of downtime to, like, compensate. Right. And if I have, like, a big marathon kind of, like, days in a row or whatever, then they can make that a week. Yeah. You know? And, um... But I think it is, like, um... You know, I definitely value my alone time. And like you were saying about reading your book, I feel like nowadays, even when I'm home, watching TV almost intimidates me because I'm, like... There's so much to watch. What do I watch? What if, I, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I don't like it? Oh, did I talk to you about crashing, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to watch that. Oh, my God. But People like, have been telling just me one for more thing. so long. It's like, I get so But it should go to the top, to the top. list. What's the Marilyn May song? <laughs> everyone, every show here kindly stepped to the rear. <laughs> uh, keep moving, boys. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm just like, if I... I always feel guilty and, like, have this weird thing where, like, if I start a show, like, I have to finish the season even if I don't like it, because if not, I feel like, like oh, I haven't completed me. something. I, I need to give that I, up, right? 
I have given that up so hard. Same with books. Desperate. It started with Desperate Housewives. Oh, that, I, I that final season. I, I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. And now I'm so free. Newsroom. I love that show so much. But like halfway through the series finale, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm good. The series finale. <laughs> the series wow. finale. But I was like, it's 20 minutes. I'll never get back. Do and you do that I don't do it. Where maybe you're this way because I gave up on the politician. After the first episode? No, I watched, like, two and a half episodes. But I was, like, just the Ryan Murphy writing was, like, getting me down. Like, it's, like, one thing on those genre things, Mm -hmm. like American Horror Story or Pose, even, you know, that are, like, you kind of forgive some of, like, the bad writing. Mm -hmm. But, like, I needed better material in The Politician, even though the performances were great. I mean, and Gwyneth Paltrow becoming... A cigarette smoking, fifty really? year old, yeah. like settling that's into that. All phase. I've ever wanted. I'm so ready to just like fully embrace Gwyneth. Right, right. Well, you know, the politician came out. I was like, oh, I, of course I'm going to watch this. I need to. But then I was so relieved when everyone told me how bad it was because, like, oh, thank God. Really, I, need to I feel watch like it. everyone's telling me how great it is. I mean, the majority of people I've talked to say what that's because you, you talk to like cooler um, people. Yeah, like probably. your probably. Spotify, like. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren friends are like cooler, and so they have better taste, and they're telling you not to watch the politician. Right. Whereas my like basic bitch, like Mayor Pete, like Amy Klobuchar, like friends who are like on Apple Music or like you know like playing their CDs, are like the politician is so good. There's musical numbers and gay themes, and there's Broadway stars. Yeah. And for some reason, they're from the North. Because <laughs> cool people aren't coastal. Even though, on it, it's so racist of me to say that, because all these people are coastal. It's not racist, it's regionist. I like to just use racist to mean all kinds of prejudice. But I guess that's yeah, not that's, cool anymore. that's woke. You know where I stole it was from South Park, and I guess it's just, like, not cool anymore. Anyway. It was, like, fun to do that in, like, We're alienating the audience. <laughs> My grandfather used to love to quote this line that he supposedly Arthur Lawrence said to Stephen Sondheim after Sunday in the Park with George, uh-huh. which was, uh, I can only do it in my grandfather's voice, where he'd be like, uh, Stephen, you're getting further and further from your audience. Really? Um, which I, Arthur would never have called him Stephen, so mm-hmm. I was just not, uh, you know, it, it had to be, if not apocryphal, at least altered. Arthur Lawrence. Um, although, as my grandfather would say, Grandpa Sketch, never let accuracy interfere with a good story. That's true. It's true. Um, Certainly, um, Elaine Stritch knew that better than anyone. Knew it. Oh, my God. It's so funny now because, oh, part of my deep dive oh, I had a question. videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take questions when I'm done. <laughs> 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 I was watching all these Elaine Stritch interviews, and I always, I've watched everything Elaine Stritch did that was on film or television or bootleg between 1984 and her death in, not 2014, she hasn't been dead that long. When did she die? Well, whenever it was. 2015 or 16. I think it was, yeah. Uh, Everything she did in those years, starting in 84, I've watched a hundred times. And I'm obsessed with, like, Elaine Stritch when she was, like, young and, like, still had, like, a, like, viable, like, pliable belt voice and was, like, Merman's understudy, like, on Broadway, like, in the 50s. But I don't like, obviously I love Elaine and company more than life, and I love her British, Mm -hmm. her Britcom, Mm -hmm. but I don't like her interviews from the 70s, Mm. where, like, I I don't, she's, like, skinnier and younger, and Mm. I like Elaine when she's, like, 
I'm an old bitch, yeah. and I don't need you to like me. Yeah. But I don't like her when it. she's like, well, you know, trying to like flirt with David Letterman and making jokes about and how still impossible very, like, it is to like redo your house right, in Sag Harbor. Right, right, right. Like, I don't like that. And I also realized watching, I bravely dared to go into some of those interviews from that era. I was like, because she's lying a lot. It's like when she's starting to kind of flirt with quitting drinking, but, like, she's sort of, like, going back and forth, and, like, it's so transparent, and, like, she, like, brings it up inappropriately and, like, shares too much about her journey with, like, AA and diabetes. Diabetes. (laughs) Um, So that was uh, something I've I've had to make peace with, but I think my love for Elaine Stritch really began at the Follies concert in 1985 Mm. when she came into rehearsal in those shorts and dug around in her purse while Barbara camera, Cook was singing. the camera pans across the room. Barbara Cook is singing in Buddy's eyes for the first time and not a dry eye in the house. It's Broadway Leaping. history. And there's Stritch injecting her thigh <laughs> and peeling a banana and eating prunes with a fork. Oh, so good. Broken record, broken record, Wow, we're so thrilled to be here today on Broken Records with legendary, Tony Award-winning, lyricist, director, just man about town, masterful raconteur, Scott Whitman. You can't tell I'm blushing on radio. <laughs> I think maybe they can. Um, it's hot in here. Um, that's all the blood in Scott's rosy cheeks. Um, and, uh, well, we're so grateful to you for joining us This is called Broken Records? Broken Records. Broken Records. Oh, that's cute. So it's, what were the albums you wouldn't shut up about? Right. Oh, okay, well, well, this is one I wouldn't shut up. So, and, and so you were the broken record and you wore the record out by playing it. And if we really want to take a third level, maybe it like, you know, shattered previously existing <laughs> exactly. um, standards for whatever reason. Well, I have a lot of stories about this record. So. You do. Okay. Well, well, we're talking today about Sinatra at the Sands. Yes. Fabulous. Uh, peak Sinatra from 66. 66, right. And, uh, of course, at the fabled Sands Hotel and Casino on the Vegas now Strip. Now no longer. No longer. What is that, the win now? Or uh, No, they tore the whole thing down, I think, eventually, after Howard Hughes bought it. But uh, he ruled that place for all those years, and that's where they, you know, the, that's where Ocean's, you know... It was the round the, one, right? Oh, it was like yeah, a, it was a, a circular yeah, yeah. tower. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the Copa Room. <laughs> now, did you ever see any of these kinds of acts at the Sands? Or I'm not at the Sands, because that that's ilk. a little before my time. Excuse me. Pardon me, darling. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> You're timeless to me. <laughs> um, but I did see Sinatra many times in my life, so I slept out in front of Carnegie Hall one night. Were you the only one? Oh. No, no, lines down. That's before you could, you know, you had to... Sleep out to get a ticket. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I did. I saw him at Carnegie Hall. I saw him many times in Vegas. Well, that was was later than after you were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much later when I moved to New York. You were a kid when this album came out. Yes, I was 12. Did did you get this album when it first came out? (laughs) Yes, I did because my parents had it. And um, I used to play um, play it constantly and pretend I was in in the audience that I would play cocktail lounge. Literally, I had, <laughs> just and, had maraschino cherries and martini glasses. I love cleaners and yeah. And what, what was this one? I mean, was it Judy at Carnegie Hall? Were there others like this that made up your? Yeah, I like I like I I definitely uh, uh, had a thing for live albums. Yeah, with Judy, oh, yeah. of course. Well, and then you became but the master. Everyone on the show would have picked Judy at Carnegie Hall, so I tried to do a, a butcher different. version. Yes. 
<laughs> well, so what if you were you were this gay kid listening to Judy at Carnegie Hall right. and whoever else at Carnegie Hall that yeah. you were listening to? What what uh, how did you butcher it? What brought you to this butcher? Well, I had an older milieu. brother. First of all, my father was a was a bit of a. a, a Let's say a rapscallion, oh. and he um, he he hung out with uh, um, he used to hang out in a bar in New York called Tut Shore, and that was where uh, Sinatra hung out and and uh, Jackie Gleason and all those people. That was their mm. clubhouse outside of Jilly's. There was Jilly's, which is was Sinatra's bar, which was next to the Alvin Theater. Now the what Neil Simon and so oh yes, home of hairspray. Yes, one yeah. of Scott's. But it's a it, now it's the Russian one. There's like a oh, Russian, the Russian bar samovar. Or the, yeah, that Baryshnikov yeah. owns part of. Oh, I but didn't that, that was Jilly's, and in fact he you, mentions that on this album. Oh, many times. Yeah. yeah. In fact, if you go upstairs there, because I used to, befriended them during hairspray, obviously, <laughs> and um, there's still wallpaper on the wall that where the uh, you know it says Juliet Prowse on a, on a phone number and stuff. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so, um, <laughs> and you could also buy um, fur coats there because they were uh, Russian. This is now. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. buy. They had fur pelts in the back there in the kitchen. That you could, anyway, that's a done. Instead story. of buying a T-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> merch. Wow. So um, my father would hang out. Used to hang out with. So there him. was like a mystique about that about Sinatra yes, thing for yeah. you. Yes, and uh, and this was he was fifty when he made this record. Right, but in in. In his in his whole life, I, I think this is this was probably the pinnacle of his mm-hmm. all of his power. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, it had uh, Count Basie was the man. Uh, Quincy Jones did all the arrangements and mm-hmm. conducted, and it was him for ninety minutes on on a stage singing all the classic mm-hmm. yeah. Sinatra songs. And it was also the first time I think he sang the Shadow of Your Smile. You know, he had learned it like three days before. He says, mm-hmm. "I was yeah. listening this morning." He said, "It's a new song." <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Shadow of Your Smile. Yeah, the movie had just come out, mm. I think. Here's a very pretty song, a brand new song, as a matter of fact. The shadow of your smile when you have gone. We'll color all my dreams. And light the dawn. And so, uh, so anyway, the, and then there's the the infamous. Uh, they call it the T monologue that oh, he does yeah. in the middle, mm-hmm. where the Dean it's terribly written. And... It's it's. Uh, Partially racist. <laughs> what, what is that accent he's doing? It's him. He, he's doing making fun of Sammy Davis, and it's sort of like a Rochester. Oh, okay. You know, like a sort of, a, you know, it's a definitely has a racial overtone because he always treated Sammy like, a, like you know, uh, you know, like the sidekick. Right. Right. He used to call him my shadow. <laughs> shadow of <my> smile. <laughs> um, and like, I mean, before this album came out, you know, if I had said to you, young little Scotty Whitman, like, oh. <laughs> Oh, you know, Frank Sinatra has got a new album. Would you, would you have been as excited, or did this change it for I you? I knew I, it was always on, like when my parents would have people over in the background on the, you know, on the, the Victrola with a lot of these <laughs> same songs. 
Yes, but different arrangements. Mm-hmm. They were. I. I. Well, I was just understanding what an arrangement. You know what it was, and and that record is so exciting at right at the beginning because it has uh, Basie's band and yeah. then, and then the oh, announcement. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, he comes out and he says, "How did all these people get in my room?" And, How did all these people get in my room? Come fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on, fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away. Anyway, it was very so it thrilling. It's so show. <laughs> it's it so is. show. It is. It is. And I mean, did did you at that point want to be in do show that? Did you want to be Frank Sinatra? <laughs> I didn't want to be Frank Sinatra, but I wanted to be in show business. Mm-hmm. And I was going to school in New York on the on the on the weekends. I would go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, so I would take the bus in from Nyack, and and I would go to school. I would run across Forty Second Street by myself. I'm telling you, it was a scary back then. This is in 1967, 68, mm-hmm. and and then um, I would then I would go to a matinee after a class. So so, uh, so I think. I saw a lot. I just saw that year. I think I saw like Sweet Charity and all Maine. those. Wow! Maine. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> and um, so we did. Did this lead you into like a deep Sinatra obsession, or was it then all the live albums and and it, show business lore? Well, again, no. I think it did. It did. It definitely did. Um, I mean, I thought he was quite. I kind of aspired to it. I thought it was the world of, you know, tuxedos and mm-hmm. smoking and Jack Daniels and, and yeah. showgirls. It seemed to summon all that up mm-hmm. or mixed it up in my head were, were enough into, that I wanted it. Like <laughs> like Ocean's Eleven, was that your Yeah, I, not so much. I mean, because I, maybe not, I, I don't think I saw that as a kid. I definitely saw James Bond movies mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. But once I knew this album and I played it constantly when I was playing Cocktail Lounge, yeah. um, <laughs> it be, I did, I used to know it by heart, like all the licks. You know all the horn hits and I things love like that. that. <laughs> and what, what were the the next albums that you listened to that were sort of because you had loved this, you went to the. Well, then the next album he made after this is uh, is the exact opposite of it because it was the Jobim album, which is just him and Jobim. When it's yeah. very delicate and very uh, light, and it didn't ha- it doesn't have the balls that this album had. Were you were you there for that? Oh or yes, my God, yeah, yeah. Because then, then I became a fan, and then of and just then, the artist, yeah, of, of him. And then then I would buy the records, and even though I was still buying, because I think this is the same year was like uh, the Beatles, I think maybe Revolver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I, it might, might have been Revolver and the Beach Boys, stuff like that. I, that I still bought singles of those. But this was an album I would put on from beginning Start to, finish. to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, what did, when you would think about being in that kind of show business, what role did you see yourself playing? Um Showgirl, I, I, I maybe I don't know. I knew I wanted to be part of it. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought I was going to be a dancer. You know, and I came to New York to do that, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't enjoy being in front of the mirror all the time. And so it, it was not something that took mm-hmm. hold of me until I figured out. Oh, I much prefer being on the other side of the mm-hmm. table. So how? So I mean, so you were watching Sweet Charity matinee, <laughs> thinking yes. I want to be Where's one she of those had boys. Cut? Where am I going? Well, can't have it all. <laughs> Go back the next week. Um, 
but so then and the but you were taking real acting classes, not yeah, I was yeah, yeah the, the daytime yeah on Saturday mornings yeah. And then so then did you come right to New York after school? I went to college first, and then I then I came to New York, and then uh, to be a dancer to be a dancer yeah, and I, I auditioned for Fosse and did all that. Wow, auditioned for Pippin as a replacement. And got far, because because that was a famous combination that they taught. They used to teach it at, um, I used to go to Luigi, and they taught that combination there. It was called T for Two, and he used it for every audition. And so I knew it well enough that I got on to the next thing. And he came up on the stage and put his hand on my shoulder and talked to me and and uh, but didn't make that next cut mm. of that. So that's when I said, you know what, if I can't get into that, then who, who, you know, what's what's left there? So then I, I started putting acts together for people and tried to imitate the albums. And and so what, yeah. <laughs> what were those first first acts that you were putting together? I, put, I had an act together with uh, um, five female comedians. It was called The High Heeled Women. And it, it was, um, and it played constantly, like in the, 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 the duplex. And then there was another place called Once Upon a Stove, which was on the east side. Once Upon a Stove. Yeah. But that's when the city was lousy with cabarets. They were mm-hmm. on, on every corner. So, And were they crowded? Yeah, packed, like uh, Reno Sweeney's and... I worked, I did, worked on Edie Beals, that way you knew that. Yeah. David Lewis. And um, who else did I do back then? Oh, a lot of them. I did the Q&As. I wrote all the Q&As, which I know you do. With with (laughs) Countess Luann. I I did them for Edie Beals. Yours were fake questions? Yes, a table 27 wants to know what your favorite movie is, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was that. Uh, uh, that was Arena Sweeney's. Yeah, yes. And um, and then how did you get connected with Tibet Midler? Um, I lived across the hall from a harlot. Oh, Lula wow. Mm-hmm. And um, they were about to, they had, they had, that's another great live album. Uh, the uh, live, live at last. last. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I would consider the Sinatra one, the Bet one, definitely Johnny Cash at Folsom. Yeah. That's all great. And Judy, mm-hmm. those are fabulous live albums. Live albums. Um, <coughs> the, uh, Christine so, ever saw the Synagogue, yes. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do the phone live. But um, yeah, so I lived across the street from Maharlet. And uh, now the one I met at your house is Zora, not Ula. Zora wasn't a harlot, but she was a high-heeled woman. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> she was never a harlot. No. I've been thinking about her wrong all this no, time. No, Ula Hedwig was the harlot. Um, so I must have met Ula, too, and then Yeah, yeah, they've them. always been around. Um, so you're still friends with her. And then yeah. so she was already a harlot when you met her? I, I, yeah, she was already a harlot. Yeah, there was a whole group of people that I became friends with because they were all in hair together. Mm. So um, so I knew them from that group of people. And and is that around the time you met Mark? I met Mark in Marie's Crisis in 1976. Oh, hello. <laughs> 
And um, and was he working with that already then? No, or? he did that because I knew the Harlets, and so they needed. They were putting their own act together, which was called formally the Harlets. Formally the Harlets, and they were playing Reno Sweeney's, and so Mark became their musical director, and then Bet. Very smartly decided she was going to do a very small tour, which was only clubs. Mm-hmm. And she played the Copa in New York, and she played the Roxy in L.A. Oh, it was a small show, and the Harlets. She had the Harlets open for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. So Mark played for them, and then they became. You know, then she started to say, "Hey, he's cheap, and I'll use him." So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And but then that's when you wrote stuff for her, right? I wrote was for it... her later. Like um, I, I did a little bit on one album called Thighs and Whispers. Oh yes, we're obsessed oh, with that. We know that album. <laughs> and then I was um, on the way here, actually. Yes, the 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 um, what was big noise from Winnetka? Winnetka. There's some oh, special yeah. lyrics in there. Oh. Then later on, like uh, little one-offs here and there, and then the last time I did the tour, the one, the Divine Intervention tour. Oh, okay, that was the, well, that, that's that's big time bet. It was big time bet. Uh, well, I guess she was already kind of big time at that point. Oh, she if, was huge. Yeah. I, saw, I was telling. I, I had dinner with her like uh, last week. Name dropping. Name dropping. But I, I had uh, just before Patty, and I was saying I'm uh, doing. <laughs> <Flip on. laughs> I said Patty, Patty tomorrow night at Patty's doing Carnegie, you know, Philharmonic Hall, and I said I saw her there on New Year's Eve. Bet there in 1972, where she did two shows back to back. Wow! On New Year's Eve in 1972, with Barry played the piano uh-huh. for. So that that's a p- pretty big. Well, I guess geographically it's close, but it's a big jump up from the Continental Baths. Yeah, but she had the the album had just come out, the 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 Divine Miss M, and then yeah. she was now playing. Uh, but the venues got bigger, so mm-hmm. she's playing like Symphony Hall in Boston, and well, so was that the same show she'd been doing at the Baths, pretty much at that uh, point. Well, uh, yeah, it got it got bigger. It just got bigger. Yeah, she didn't have Harlets at the Baths. Yeah. So, but this had you know Melissa Manchester was in that show, and and so yeah. Oh, but not as a Harlet. Just she was as... Harlet. And so, who were which were the Harlets that did the formerly the Harlets? It was a Charlotte Crosley, uh-huh. who, who I eventually gave a job in hairspray. She was motor mouth. Oh, uh, Sharon Red who was a big disco queen. She had a lot of disco hits. She's passed. And Ula. So, uh, yeah. And um, and then later, Linda Hart. and st- Linda Hart, who's, who I went to Vegas to see Sinatra with when I was really young. We drove to Vegas together, and I, we, he was playing the Golden Nugget, which was small. Mm-hmm. And I got to the front, Mater D, and Linda says, G- let's give him all the money you have. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I didn't have much, but I, I took a, the, like wads of cash or singles. It looked like a lot. It wasn't because our table was practically in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So uh, we gave him all the money, and he went down and kicked people out of the table. He said, these are guests of Barbara Sinatra, <laughs> and threw them out and sat us there. Wow. And I was literally, he sang almost, I was sitting right there and he was there. So he sang almost the whole show to me, which was not unlike this, this set list that he, that this is like in the eighties. This No, this is in 19, 
78, so, 79. So he had my way already. But. Yes, in New York. New York, I think, by then, right? Oh, now, wow. I'm not sure. Maybe, but, yeah. yeah. So, okay, what... And he was in okay voice, but he was still really fantastic. How would you describe it? The essence of Sinatra, what made it a great thing, you know, even then? Because he had this casual air about him, Mm -hmm. but it was very powerful. Mm -hmm. And also, it seemed like he was making uh, every—he didn't—you know, no one was sitting there backstage writing, hey, I got some jokes for you. Yeah. It was all off the top of his head, and he could—he was very— you know, loose and, you know, and, uh, but the, the musicality and the acting was, I th- there was such a, an, an amazing thing. Like when he did his saloon section of the show where he just said, you know, and then it would, the whole show would sort of shrink down to him on a stool with a piano, smoked through the whole thing yeah. mm-hmm. and um, had a drink in the other hand and then sang, you know, one for my baby, Angel Eyes, all of them were together. So. And then he would sing at the end, excuse me, while I disappear. And then he would walk out of the light. <laughs> wow. But, I mean, he had no gay guy telling him to walk out of the light. No, he, no. That was he, all his no, theatricality. That was all his theatricality. And so, like, so when you would do the, your, the shows that over the years that you created, what, what is it that you take from the inspiration of the Sinatra at the Sands that you imparted to these um, different acts? <laughs> well, if, for like Patty, it's just that, you know, she has that. It's like a command that they mm-hmm. have. I mean, power, Patty's such a plapone, such a powerful performer that she has some qualities that are very similar to yeah. his. And and so I, the structure of his show, you as, as Bridget Edward and I like to say, it's slam, slam, tender, slam, slam, slam tender. tender. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret of cabaret. That's the secret of cabaret. The one you taught me was, um, but still. But still. <laughs> Any segue is just, but still. But, still. <laughs> but I mean, there, there must be more. Um, I mean, I see so many crappy cabaret acts yes. all the time, yeah. you know, and then you see something, I mean, the one you did for a patty that opened 54 Below, Faraway Places, right, right, right. I still think was one of the most sensational uh, things I've ever seen, yeah. you know, and um, and I must have seen that one four times or something, you know, but I, and the album is such a great capture of it, but it's hard to... Um, it's it's more than just the you know energy level of slam slam tender. What, no no, you have to go from like he does on on that album. You have to go from a beginning to an end. Something has to change chemically, mm. and so um, he does that in this. And he and she Patty's a, capable of that. You literally can feel the mm-hmm. the, um, the the neurons yeah. changing in the air. <laughs> so by the end of the evening, you you're at a different place than yes. you were at yeah, the yeah. start of it. Even though you're not sure why yeah but there's mm-hmm. this sort of clothesline that you've hung things on so that they're they're um they make sense um chemically i mean mm-hmm. as the audience we're not sure why but yes, you guys yeah. are yes, thinking of something when you do yeah. it I yes mean, of course you know when people show me these song lists for cabaret shows they want to do and it has like a plot Oh, no, no. That's no, horrendous, you yeah. know, so... It's a delicate little... I call it a clothesline. Like, even when you sometimes work with Bet and you do these do some ballads together, I said, now the sun has to come out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So there has mm-hmm. to be there has to be a release and a, and a tension, and, and that's what the clothesline is to me. But those, you know, the release and the intention... And the opening numbers should be... Should establish that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the release intention is like sort of moment to moment. What what is it that what's that magic you're working that the end feels somewhere different? 
uh, there, it's I can only describe it as a release of something, mm -hmm. like what he does on this when he sings uh, My Kind of Town. And each time I leave Chicago is It's grabbing my sleeve Chicago is The Wrigley Building Chicago is The Jumpin' Chicago is one town that won't let you down. It's my kind of town. Chicago, 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 my kind of town. Chicago. Yeah. He, he sort of sums it all up, and it's a. Uh, and so, but it's like uh, I don't know. It's a it's a release of something where you mm -hmm. feel like um, a they 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 they're um, they're they, you've, you've they've taken you in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, they're going to leave you at, with some sort of feeling mm -hmm. that you. But it's a feeling that you both have together, the performer and the artist. And so it's sort of um, I know, it's ephemeral. It just doesn't. You're not sure what it is, but you know you've you know been you changed it. by yeah. it. Yeah. And what, do, what like, are, are there any sort of uh, like songs that are like good catch-alls when you when you don't that you've you've saved your ass when you've you know needed that hail mary to get there? <laughs> what you know? What what are like the uh, tricks? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I Patty, you know, I've done so many for Patty, yeah. you know, but they, you know, I always try to find something that is that's for her the lyric comes first mm -hmm. so i try to find and lyric driven <laughs> lyric driven <laughs> so that it has a uh, it has um uh, uh it, that's becomes the acting of it is not so much important as the big notes mm -hmm. although they they come but they come from the the meaning of what the yeah. song is mm -hmm. and i always try to find a song at the end that says that's redemptive Mm -hmm. So like like the Leonard Cohen song "Bird on a Wire" mm -hmm. or the song we wrote with Bridget, this one uh, you know, um, uh, "Take Me Home," the one that, yes, that, that you and Mark wrote. Yeah, Bridget, yeah. so yeah. it's sort of a they're not you and Patty. <laughs> no, no. First a hand to guide you, then a heart beside you. There's a redemption at the yeah. end. In, in, in the Philharmonic one, it was that too. You know, it has just there's something kind of, I've been, uh, this night has set me free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
That that's such an interesting way to put it about the night set me yeah. free. Yeah. I mean, what what are things you've seen or or albums that newer things that you listen to that you feel have given you that kind of release? I don't know. I think in Broadway you have to have that right. somehow. You know, whether it's joy or pathos, there has to be a release at the end. But in a way, in so, a way, it's more obvious uh, to get it's, there. It's, a, it's not a cocktail. It's not a cocktail. <laughs> Too bad. Cocktail they, yesterday they were pouring bourbon. But today I guess we got nothing. Um, but you know, but it, but if you have a story in a show in a play, it's but you should it's have more a, natural. That you, you were talking about stories and acts. It's mm-hmm. not so much a story as a. As I said, it's a clothesline. Yeah. But, it, but that but that song at the end has to take all those things on the line and put them together mm-hmm. at the end. And what about when you go see something like a rock and roll act? You know, not not a, not a cabaret show. By yeah, any I mean, means. I don't like Springsteen's show. Sure. I mean, that yeah. was incredibly cathartic. I mean, that was uh, that was poetry. That. But that was maybe different because it was on Broadway and it was more. Well, I've seen him in many. Uh, and many is it always before. like that? No, th- no. This was him because it was so bare boned. But that's that's the, like Patty had it. Sinatra certainly has it. Judy Garland, they're lion tamers. Mm-hmm. In other words, that audience said Bruce Springsteen went in there thinking they were going to go, Bruce, 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 but he whipped them into submission. He doesn't sing any of the hits, and he basically is telling stories from a book. So uh, there's very little of that, Bruce, Bruce. And so th- finally, they he whips, he beats them into submission mm-hmm. to understand that this is what the evening is. Yeah. You know, and that Patty does that in a, in a, certainly at 54 below yeah. or any of those places you come in there, you know, and you think, Oh my gosh, you know, when is Argentina? When is Argentina? Yeah. But, but you find out there's a whole meal around the. Mm-hmm. So, well, we went it. to our friend's house and to watch the Tonys, and then afterwards he put on uh, Matters of the Heart, oh, and that's such that's a great a example album. of that. But it's like, <laughs> but I remember seeing that show, and it was no, so unlike no anything <laughs> you ever would have expected. Yeah, from that was Patty. A, that. A lot of that was the great Dick Gallagher. Yeah, um, because all those arranged, we wanted it to sound like um, Debussy or Ravel. Mm. Oh, so it was all this that little quartet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they and I I don't know I mean I love that I love that show but it wasn't what the audience wasn't expecting that yeah I don't think she belted anything except Back to Before was in it I think wasn't it yeah Back to Before yeah yeah I mean I don't know I, that beautiful uh, she does on that album A Sand and Water oh yeah which is all like the most legato like breathy version yeah. of it where you hardly can believe you barely can hear her breathe yeah the air that I breathe yeah, also yeah. exactly. But we we did that. We recorded that on Forty Sixth Street, and she was friends with Judy Dench then, uh-huh. and they used to come to the recording session. So she was in Amy's view, and so they would come because we recorded it like in one two nights mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. It wasn't like take after take. She would have to, she would do everything from, 
you weren't comping vocals. It was yeah. from beginning to end, pretty much. Such, well, it's such a gorgeous album. It is pretty, I mean, yeah, and, I, yeah. She doesn't I, do that show much, though. She doesn't. I think two, a few years ago, I went down to D.C. to see her do it just because it yeah. had been so long. Oh, I mean, yeah. I was amazed she could still sing it, in yeah. a way almost more than the big belty things, because right, it's right. so Oh, and she sings controlled. Alone Again in that, doesn't she sing? In the show, yeah, yeah Alone yeah. Again Natural. There's a yeah. few great songs that I, I I should ask you if there's any uh, bonus tracks that are anywhere. New Year's, <laughs> the Dan Fogelberg yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what is that? Another New Year's Eve. Another Old Lang Syne. Another Old Lang Syne, yeah. Alone Again Naturally and um, Last Time I Saw Richard. Last Time I Saw Richard, mm. which was so complicated to learn. Yeah, the, and that's a, that's a fun lyric for Patti LuPone. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's wordy. It's wordy. <laughs> when we were watching the Philharmonic show, I was thinking after um, when she started Sleepy Man, it was like after doing Worst Pies in London oh, yeah, and yeah. easily assimilated, and I was like, oh, she doesn't have to do diction on this one. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so... It's funny just to hear you say, like, um, Debussy and, and, and Ravel, because, you know, I'm so, like, just a musical theater, like, yeah, whore yeah. with, like, a limited, you know, I, I mean, I'll go out and I'll explore uh, Ravel because, you know, that now I know I like Matters of the Heart. Maybe I'll like Debussy, yeah. you know. Yeah. So what... I think that record starts with Ravel, though. I is that what that is? I thought it was Frank Wildhorn. No, that. no, it's a... <laughs> it go, before she goes into the Love Makes the World There's story. Mm. She sings Storybook from Yes, Scarlet but Prince that's Vanilla. all that music before. That's actual that's, Ravel. That's, yes, yes. Oh, so... Yeah, f- yeah. I've been listening to Ravel all this time. <laughs> cultured. Um, but, you know... But I always do that. It's like, uh, I guess people call them mood boards or whatever. Yeah. Just what the feeling you want. Oh, that's fascinating. But that, but yeah. that's a huge asset. Part of what you bring to something as a director is you have such age. a wide. Well, <laughs> but I think I imagine you at every age. You always have had a really wide palette of musical tastes and and yeah, knowledge yeah, yeah, and exposure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that is is that something that you just sought out for yourself your whole I life? I did. I had a very smart uh, brother and sister, and so you know they exposed me to things because we were all 10 years apart oh, so wow. i had different versions of it you know my sister took me to the theater when i was a kid and then my brother was a you know a, a sportsman so i was very part of that life and so yeah there was different stuff coming at me all the time mm-hmm. so yeah. mm-hmm. i mean that's so often i think what's wrong with like musical theater today is that people there's so much insularity and things all sound the same and well, everyone wants to be sondheim yeah mm-hmm. or jason robert brown right mm-hmm. so but I mean, it's you know that people when something sounds like a musical now, that almost like means it sounds bad because it's just that like you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not, I shouldn't comment on. No that comment. Thing. No comment. Um, I mean, if you like Sondheim, who doesn't comment on living composers. No composers. <laughs> just right. wait till they're dead. As opposed to that awful Fred Ebb. Shit talker. Well, okay. So what? What? So what were the things though that were? It, how did you rabbit hole? What? What did you rabbit hole into from? the Sinatra album? Um, I guess it opened me up to, A, to Count Basie, which I had no idea who Mm -hmm. he was. And so that was really, I thought, oh my God, that's really So did you become a Count Basie fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put those records on around the house and and, um, certainly more Sinatra. Uh, Then, you know, Sammy. I didn't really know about Sammy, but boy, is that a great performer. And then I... I said I wanted to see Golden Boy, and I I got to see Golden Boy when he was in it, and so and then I would see him a lot, like over the years. Yeah. I saw him uh, at a birthday one that where Michael Jackson performed. Oh him. wow, yeah, that was amazing. Oh, I think I've seen that on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Did Mr. Bojangles? Yes, yes. Yeah. 
and then I, and then I saw all the many Sinatras, and and I you know so I slept out on the sidewalk mm-hmm. of Carnegie Hall and ah. saw him there, the Golden Nugget, then saw him with Liza, and the main event. Him, wow. <laughs> Uh, Liza Frank and Sammy. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And well, so what? And what was the evolution of Sinatra from? Because he's still very handsome on the jacket of uh, Sinatra at the Sands. Yeah, right? well, he was. He had just. Oh, and also, I was a big. At that time, there was a soap opera on at night called Peyton Place. Yeah. And, and Mia Farrow was in that. Oh, right. And so she married him, I think, right after. Oh, wow. I think they were together. Like, I think when you read the, about the that record, I think in the audience was Mia Farrow and Yul Brenner and all these <laughs> sort of odd. Uh, and Judy Garland. She was in the audience that night. What is, when they talk about these, like, I was reading something about Noel Coward in Vegas and yes, the celebrities. Yes, that's a famous record. But, like, what, what, were celebrities just in Vegas all the time to see the shows? Money, the money was huge mm-hmm. huh. yeah so yes and he had a very fa- he that was a big comeback for noel coward to do that act he did it at the sands too yeah. i think or the desert inn or maybe but he um but that was a he did a live album there and and they were all in the audience judy garland frank sinatra all of them you know people are always asking me if i'm on ozempic and let me tell you i do not mind them asking me that but i'm not on ozempic they especially ask me that when they see me eating dessert or desserts or all the crap I eat when I'm out. But my secret is that when I'm home, when I'm by myself, I'm eating Factor. Factor sends me restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever I am. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup except for, like, my fork. And now you can enjoy Factor meals, too. Go to factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 and use code giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off. That's code giantsinthesky50 at factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off. And okay, so what? How how did the Sinatra evolve then? In your as you watched, you know. Well, you know, he obviously was. This is at him at his peak powers. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 really all these arrangements are. First of all, they're unbelievable. I've got you under my skin. Mm-hmm. All of that is all of that is, and the horns on that record are just this record are wild. Don't you know, you fool? There ain't no chance to win. Under my skin Yeah, you grab me Under my skin But then, you know, obviously as he grew older and he didn't quite have the vocal power though I never heard him sound like I wasn't getting my money's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, but then he would have to rely a little bit more on on the the, the, the storytelling mm-hmm. as opposed to the power of it. And was that uh was that its own That's plus? its own magic. Yeah. I mean so are for... I mean I saw him at the Carnegie Hall I saw was not he was not in great voice. Mm-hmm. But the concert was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was fantastic. And like what Sinatra song is like a great example of that storytelling? Uh, that... Well, uh, one for my baby, one mm-hmm. for the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I said, Angel Eyes, all of those. Uh, Sept- uh, September of my years. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 
all of that, you know, uh, it was a very good year. Yeah. That's like, well, that's right. Well, those are all on there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 17, <laughs> it was a very good year. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the lights on the village green when I was 17. And of course, there's a, the other, the older album where he was, there's an album that's called September of My Years. That's, yeah. that's of course, now I relate to that album. Yeah. Both, Beautiful girl, walk a little slower when you walk past me. Um, all those, uh, you know, that's a fantastic album. I was doing the math. I was trying to figure out what month of my years I'm in <laughs> right now. Let's see, it depends when you die. That's when you right, die. Right. Yeah. I mean, you might only be in the June of your years and you're just getting it all wrong. But he sang for such a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, he stayed in front of the public for a long time and he would not sing if he was not, you know, if, if he didn't, he couldn't deliver, I don't think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he always delivered, you know. But and what about like you know you talk about the arrangements being so incredible you know well those were Quincy Jones and but, he was young uh, this is probably his first big you know I mean he had done arrangements for us but this was a real to have that Count Basie man and the Quincy Jones uh, Quincy Jones arrangement uh, amazing but I mean so if that, this is sixty six so yeah. if in in and I think they recorded it over a period of time I don't think it's one it's not show. just one performance it was a week yeah. of shows mm-hmm. that he had done just but he best. was there uh, almost. Uh, of quite a few months of the year, he was always in sort of residence there. Yeah, and the other guys would come in and out. Dean Martin. That's the Rat Pack years. Yeah. yeah. But like, what? So if in '86 his voice was like greatly diminished. Yes. Couldn't he still have had equally great arrangements? Yeah, and sometimes they would be the wow factor, mm-hmm. but he would still be inside that lyric. I think he was not unlike Patty, where he was a storyteller. Yeah, know, and that's what his gift was. I mean, he was also an amazing musician because he mm-hmm. sings like, he, he sang like a horn part, you know, mm-hmm. and so you just, the, the, when he's singing, you just can't believe the, the choices and mm-hmm. the breath control, all of that. I mean, he was quite technically quite proficient. Oh yeah. And also you're talking about longevity of a career that's, you know, he was in front of the public for what, 50 years, 50, 60 years. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, and what about that hymn as a as a musician, you know, singing like a horn, like you know that so many um, cabaret is such a thing of like musical theater people mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. you know, where it's it's not about it's it's a recital. It's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> it's very expensive. You know why? Because you just sing a high note and the audience goes crazy. Yeah. Right. He he uh, because when he was coming up, he sang with the big bands like mm-hmm. Benny Goodman. He sang like uh, you know horn part. He yeah. Sang, he sang like he, that was in his head. Was that in the seventies and those days when you had Reno Sweeney's and the was grand called, finale and above the toaster? What's it called? No. no. <laughs> Once upon a stove. Once upon a stove. It had a little. I don't even know it's there anymore. It was in the, on the east side, but it had a bookcase that opened, and you went inside. How the cool! Wait, like in the village? No, it was in the east thirties, I think. Oh, I forget yeah. where it was. I like, have to look it up. Like, like near Grand Central. 
A little, no, it was maybe Second Avenue. Okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Was there that were a lot of them, the 80, there was the other one that was Yellow Brick Road and, oh. and Freddy's, and I did Cabaret Acts in all of them. Wow. For Lauren um, Canyon, I did hundreds of acts. And were those rooms, like, similar to Cabaret Rooms today? There was just more of them, or did they have something no, special? No, they were special. So what was what was it about those rooms that was special? First of all, there was one on 46th Street that was called Brothers and Sisters, mm-hmm. which had was as big as this room. Yeah. But I used to go see Barbara Cook there. Wow. Oh, wow. She would be there. She was as big as this room. <laughs> how did she, you not do that? Then, but she was, but, but yeah, it was tiny. I mean, so how many like people? Eight tables, and so she'd be with a piano only. I yes, assume. and Julie Wilson, I saw there, and oh, wow. Helen Gallagher. I saw a lot of people. And there. I mean, did they look you in the eyes when they were singing? Yeah, yeah, of course. And like, um... and then there was the grand finale, which was a little bit bigger and had bigger names. Like, I saw Dusty Springfield there. Um, oh my God, that's another record. Uh, uh, Dusty in Memphis. Yes, that's, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to pick that, I assume. Probably, I mean, <laughs> if they had taste. <laughs> Oh. That's one of the great, great albums. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Just a little love early in the morning beats a cup of coffee for starting off the day. Just a little love when the world is yawning makes you wake up feeling good things are coming your way. But um, I saw her there, and uh, that must have been a lot bigger. Yeah, it was next to Cafe Luxembourg, you know, on, oh, on Seventy yeah. Third Street, I Seventy Fourth Street, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that was a beautiful room, more like a showroom. Yeah, kind of I like. had uh, here's another name. I had d- d- lunch last week with Patty Wedig. And she oh, was uh, Patricia she, Wedding yeah. from Thirty uh, Something and Brothers <laughs> she and Sisters. Worked there. She yeah. was uh, she worked in the oh, how funny. She's a cocktail waitress. But she was not a singer. No, but no. We were talking about their favorite act there was Waylon Flowers and Madam. Ah, <laughs> you didn't direct that one. No, no, no. Um, were there any other really crazy campy ones besides Little Edie that you directed? Um, I'm trying to think. The High Hill Women. Uh, um, I have a long story about my nightmare with Barbara Luna. Uh, Barbara Luna, was, she was in West Side Story at City Center. Yes, is that yes, right? Yeah. Wow. No, she was the original cast of South Pacific. Oh, oh, like as a little detail. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we wrote, uh, we took acid and wrote a medley for her. She wanted, I want a born in the trunk number. I said, <laughs> so I remember Mark and I took acid and wrote. Um, I played the part of Anita once. It was created by Cheetah once, then recreated <laughs> by Rita. Once. I'm sick and tired of all these bumps. <laughs> Brilliant. Got to almost, first of all, it never paid me I, for the act. What, and, what would you get for those acts in those days? Well, it wasn't just you would get a fee, uh-huh. but yeah. then also you had to pay for the uh, arrangements because mm-hmm. she was screwing Bill Cosby. Oh. And voluntarily, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so she, um, she, she was opening for him, and yeah. so they was those were union houses, so they could not play the charts unless they were. So Mark had to go to the union to try to get paid for it. Oh wow! So she never paid for us. Cut to I'm saying maybe 35 years later. I'm driving down Santa Monica Boulevard, the Gardenia, and I see Barbara Luna, the Gardenia. 
I pull right in there and I went there. <laughs> get that money. <laughs> and I looked at and then I saw on the chart, uh, there it was. Mark Shaman. <laughs> Hilarious. She had the medley. She no. was doing the medley. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Listen, if it works, it ain't broke. But I'm, okay, like now, if a girl wants to do a show, she yeah. books her act at Don't Tell Mama. They're going to give her, you know, the she gets the door, and there's what, like a $200 room fee or a $300 room fee. And then she's got to, she'll pay her piano player $500 or $1,000, and he'll play rehearsals for her, and he'll oh basically God. make up the arrangements kind of, you know, on the spot. So wh- who is this girl? <laughs> this, this is your this is your garden variety girl. She's from Ohio or music theater major, musical theater oh, major, from CC. CCM, <laughs> yeah, like all the greats. Um, but what you know? What was the economics like of cabaret in the seventies? Well, first of all, New York cost I, I, New York cost nothing right. to live in. Mm-hmm. So and and it was probably the most creative time. And that I I had in New York was then because mm-hmm. we had no money, but we had, went out every night and never came home. So it must we had a lot of fun for no money. But you were going out to bars and dr- buying drinks. Yeah, but they didn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. You could go to Reno Sweeney's if you didn't have money. Yeah, and sit at the bar and have a drink a, a drink for I'm telling you two dollars, and they had a closed circuit television, so you could watch the act. We used to call it the welfare room because the <laughs> act would be going on inside, and you could watch the act on the TV at the bar. So there's two rooms. There's like the yeah, entrance a room that you walk into. It's a restaurant into. now. It's called I, I've gone in there. They have the posters on the wall yeah, yeah, on yeah. 13th Street. Oh. Yeah. So, and then um, it doesn't it didn't look anything like the restaurant. It was all, but yeah. In the front was the bar, and then yeah. the, the Paradise Room, where I saw <laughs> Peter Allen and wow. uh, Barbara Cook open for Peter Allen. Do and people have openers in cabaret yeah, rooms? Back then, yeah. What time did those shows start? Were they usually real late? Or? They were usually two. You know, a.m. No, no, no. One oh. at one oh. at eight. <laughs> one at eleven. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, well, that's not that different yeah, yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. what would the cover be for? Um, Twenty dollars for Peter Allen. Even. Yeah, yeah. But in, in those, did you work in those days with anybody that wasn't a star that was just starting yeah, out? The, that you well, were Christine. Gonna... In the, in the seventies, you did Christine uh, Eversall. I did acts for Christine. Yeah, when she was in Camelot with so like Richard what? Burton. So what would have Debbie Shapiro grab it? My favorite. <laughs> um, well, so like, what would you have gotten as a directing fee for like one of those shows in that time? Um, all you can drink. I forget. Yeah. Not, I don't remember. And, not much. And I what was, would... I was also a, wait, a waiter, and mm-hmm. I was working at Joe Allen's and a bartender. Mm-hmm. Were, I mean, were you working like like a full time like shift. waiter shift? Yeah. yeah. Like you got there and yeah. served the table. I worked at a bar, a restaurant that was really beautiful, and it was a huge hangout for actors. It was called Downey's, and it was on 44th and 8th, and it was all green banquettes, leather banquettes, and all, every star would go in there every night. And I had the eight booths in the front, mm-hmm. and I was there every night because Marta Keller and Al Pacino were dating, and they were sat in my section till 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. I would take everything off the table. Oh, my God. <laughs> Try to get them <laughs> to Shelley leave. And Shelly Winters is always in there very drunk. Did you love her? <laughs> yeah. So, so, like for for Christine Eversol's show, she wasn't a star yet. Yeah. Um, what was the cover charge for her thing? Oh, again, she was a lot. Where did she used to perform? Barbara Ann's, which was another oh. club on Forty Sixth Street, which is now like wherever they have the swing. Oh music. yes, yeah, yeah. On I worked Row. there too. Yeah, yeah. So she, she, I did an act for her there. 
and then and then oh you know what was running there that whole time that she would be the late show yeah and that and and it was then it was um, starting here starting now that was running started at a club yeah it was only in that club oh. I don't remember it ever it ran there for a long time I I know every one of those songs yeah waiting on crossword puzzle <laughs> was this I don't remember Christmas was this world of cabaret nightclubs cocktails was it all that you had imagined it as a kid yes. playing cocktail yes lounge? it was very glamorous and you yeah in the moment you were like it was this exactly is it. like that except oh, I was I love it. smoking cigarettes not pipe cleaners <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean and was it so would you the you had how many many shifts you had waiting at tables yeah in the week yeah and then you'd the rest of the nights you were trying to run to back Freddy's and, and do an act for uh, Laura Kenyon or, yeah. but you know, I, I, I had a club too for a while. You did? Yeah. Scotty's? Saint, no, it, it should have been called that, but no, it was on, um, it was on St. Mark's place and it was called the club 57 and it was a bunch of us. It was, uh, me and Keith Herring and oh, wow. Kenny Scharf and a woman named Ed and Magnus. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so it was a basement of a church on, on that street. And so, so I was I was too rock and roll for theater and too theatery for rock and roll. So I found this sort of place that that I they, I, they said okay yeah come and join us and do whatever you want. So I had would have two nights a week and I did all these productions. That's there. when you did like the Sound of Music. Yes, and, all and that Trojan stuff. Women, and, and then we wrote Mark and I wrote our first musical there called Living Dolls about Barbie and Ken. So so that was and that became this sort of cultural center for me this mm. was in 78 79 80 and then and then sort of aids came in the picture and people started you know disappearing but that was um i did a lot a lot of shows there mm. and were you still waiting tables at that point yes and then finally i quit because mark got a job at saturday night live as sort of like uh um the musical director back mm. then didn't play piano g.e smith yeah and so he would do sort of the musical comedy stuff because Billy Crystal was up there. Mm. Was he your Billy Crystal and Marty Short and Chris um, yeah, Billy Crystal and Marty Short were sort of the on the on that show and mm. some Mark ended up there and Christine ended up. Right. Right. Um, so that that's when you quit the waiting tables. That's when and, you quit but the waiting tables. You had Club Fifty Seven. Yeah, and I would, I would, and then I figured a way where I could do shows in nightclubs because back then DJs were not stars. They, I, so I would do these huge extravaganzas at you know one o'clock in the morning with casts of maybe up to two hundred people, and so I did them at, uh, at Studio Fifty Four, Danceteria, the Palladium, at like dance club like, nightclubs. You're not yeah, talking that about whole like club thing clubs. Would stop. And the show would start, and so I would do these huge. And did things. people buy tickets to no, come see the show? No, it was all. Um, I had a huge. I would go out and I'd have like five hundred, um, you know, admit one mm-hmm. and a guest, and so it was just to get them in there to drink. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they of course would stay. But the shows would. I did them at this. I did Bye Bye Birdie at the Saint, wow. <laughs> at which Charles Strauss at the and they came. And and uh, Pat Field had done the costumes, and everyone oh, was wow. dressed like it was uh, it was in outer space. Yeah. So they had no idea what was going on when they came. But uh, but I did a lot of those, and so then I that I figured out. Oh, the club gave me ten thousand dollars. I paid everybody in drink tickets, mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, you know, everything was, I kept the rest. So you made mm-hmm. good money on those shows at Club yeah, 57? Yeah, yeah, enough Th- to Those were not, did you still call it Club 57? No, no, this was, just, it was always Scott Whitman's. <laughs> Scott Whitman's. <laughs> yes, well, I did one called Pagan Place, which was the Bible in 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> were the shows all short like that? Yeah, they'd be a, a, some... Uh, not Tab a, versions of the yeah, shows? Yeah, yes, as you would say. But they, they at the at the uh, Club 57, I would do all evening. Mm-hmm. But, the, the, but these were not simultaneous. This was after that? It all came out of that. It started mm-hmm. to grow from that because then I went to Danceteria, which I, they gave me total free range. Is that Madonna era Danceteria? Yes, yes, she was, yeah, yeah. I often followed her because she, she would be the, you know, late. I would do, the, I did Peter Pan there and I remember she went on. And after. John Sex was John the Sex star. Was now, who is he? John Six was a, a really one. Um, a lot of this is on YouTube, by the way. Yes, yeah. He's a really, was a really lovely. Artist and graphic designer, but also had a very flamboyant stage personality. Mm-hmm. And Andy Warhol loved him, and 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 he was sort of the darling of that set. And I did many many shows that where he was the center of it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then I would put other people around him, like Laura Kenyon, or and all this. So they became sort of. I did, you know, a, a whole gender reversed Peter Pan back then. And where John was Peter where Pan. Where John was Peter Pan. And, and then, Laura was Captain Hook. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then did that continue until you moved to L.A.? Yes, because once I moved to L.A. when AIDS, when there were too many ghosts. So. Mm. Is that why you moved to L.A.? Yeah. And then was L.A. different or just they weren't your ghosts? So they weren't it was different. my ghosts. Yeah. All I learned how to do in L.A. was drink and try. <laughs> <laughs> the two skills you need. Uh, what, so what year was that that you moved to L.A.? And that was 10 years in the 80s, late 80s. Late 80s. Yeah. Um, and Before Uta Lumper. <laughs> Did she get you back here? She took me to Germany for a year. Oh, and had you been a fan of hers before? Never knew who the hell she was. How did you connect with Uta Lumper? She somehow, I'm trying, oh, I'd done, Mark had done an act, which I kind of helped on, where Raquel Welsh, and somehow the manager or something said, oh, you should get these guys. So they hired me and fired Mark. So, but I moved to Germany for a year. For a year, yeah, because she was young. She was very young. She was about to be. They want. She had gone to Paris and done this production of Cabaret, and the French had given her their equivalent equivalent of the Tony Award, the Moliere. Mm -hmm. So, for the French to give the Germans anything. Now she came back to Germany. Peace she was the second. Yeah. She came back to Germany. That's the second coming of Marlena Dietrich. But all she didn't. She was so young. She just wanted to be Liza Minnelli. Yeah. And so we. They gave her a ninety-minute television special, and I kept saying Barbara Streisand at her peak did forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> So they brought all these Americans in. Uh, me and Greg Burge was in it. And to choreograph it? Or? He was her guest star. And we did, so we did this huge television show that went on the road. So we were on the road all over Germany for a year. In theaters? No. I'm telling you, we were following that year. And I was on the road with Bruce Springsteen and the Born to Run tour and Whitney Houston. Oh I want to dance with somebody tour. And so huge. we would come into the Olympia Hall. There were 80,000 people. Ah. So she would be doing that, singing Whoa. Life is a Cabaret, old chum. 
And then um, I was there for a year, and, and finally I went into a gay bar in a town called Essen, and they said, hey, Scott's back. And I said, oh, it's time, <laughs> time to go, go. home. <laughs> so I, they, they, the crew had said, well, you have to be in the show on the last night. And I said, oh, no, all right. <laughs> and the, the ending number was, enough is enough is enough. <laughs> and so everyone had, the dancers all had black raincoats on and stuff. And so I went in front of 80,000 people in Munich and took all my clothes off. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. To Waluda Lemper saying it, no. She, it was the, she looked over and I was all of a sudden <laughs> in the last picture, and <laughs> we they were t- everyone got an eight in the bow, like eight, a count of eight each yeah. dancer. So on my eight, I opened up the rainbow. <laughs> now, how come you had to stay the whole time in in that tour? Because it was just babysitting, and you know, yeah. Within, yeah. So, uh, I mean, what what did you like? Did you have to take the tech staff in each theater through all the light cues? No, because there was a whole thing. So you were literally yeah. just babysitting. She had a little bit of a breakdown in the middle of it. It was just too much for her. Yeah. And um, and so they they sent everyone wherever they wanted to go, except Scott. You will be going with her. And I went to a clinic. A, uh, like in a, a clinic where all these women were having facelifts and stuff in the, in the it's called in Hintersarten which was uh, out in the Alps and I sat there for, she never came out of the room and I sat there for a week <gasps> and proceeded to get all these women on facelifts drunk <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I'm telling too many stories uh, now. We, have, we only have a couple minutes left do oh, you want to talk game? about anything else oh. before we play our game oh yeah do you, you want to plug anything <laughs> uh, do I want to plug anything yeah. no I have nothing to plug Wow. We'll we'll find something. Um, So we have a game we play called um, Dolly Concert Kill. It's like Mary Fuck Kill, but we'll give you three performers, and you choose one to see as Dolly Levi on Broadway, Mm -hmm. and one to see in a peak career concert, and one to... Unfortunately, yeah. kill. Oh, oh I, do I have to kill somebody? Yeah, you have to kill somebody. What if? They, oh, maybe they can already be dead. Yeah, they can already be okay, dead. That's right. true. Um, um, so who should we give him? Let's see. Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Yeah, and I think uh, Uda Lemper. Uda Lemper. Like she's yeah, in there. And Patty LePone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh my! This God. might be an easy one for Scott. Well, I like to see Patty as uh, Dolly. Yeah. I think that's a shame that never happened. Yeah. And what's the next one? Uh, peak, concert. peak concert. Well, a bet, but I saw those, so it's saw, not like I saw those peak concerts. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to kill Bat and see Uda in concert? <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to kill Uda, but she's changed now. Well, you have to kill somebody. I do? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, um, uh, I guess Uda, I guess. Kill Uda, Bat, peak Bat concert. Peak, yeah. 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 All right, that's a very respectable answer. Um, I don't want to kill anybody, though. Well, you don't have, you don't have to actually do the dirty oh, work. Okay. We'll, we'll take care of that. <laughs> but you'll know when you see the headlines because you made that choice. Um, do, you, do you think we'll ever see Patty and Dolly? Should I should I give up hope? Yeah, I would give up hope. Give up hope. Maybe, yeah. Um, is, that, is it because people hate Scott Rudin? Is that the problem? No, I don't think that. I, I think that, you know, I think I went to see it with Patty. With We went to see Bet together. Oh, I didn't know that. And, um, I didn't know she'd I, Yeah, that. I think that um, I, I think Patty was, you know, I think that, that she, I think there was a time where she was going to do it. Right, I know about Jack that. Jack yeah. yeah, and they didn't, I think that, if I might not, I think I'm making it up, but I think this was the story that the Jerry Herman insisted that you had to do the Gower champion choreography. Yes, mm-hmm. that's and what so I she, too. they felt they didn't want to do, they, they felt yeah. it needed to be reinvented. But like if this production was going to go to the West End... And they offered it to Patty. You don't think she would do that? Oh, I don't know. She loves London, so mm-hmm. she's very happy there. Yeah. And um, 
uh, yeah. Well, I thought I was going to bring up To Kill a Mockingbird, but I guess we're, we're, we're over the tone. No more Tony gossip. But I, I loved that production. Which one? The Dolly? To kill, well, that too. Uh-huh. But To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But Dolly was rewarded at the Tonys. But yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird deserved, I felt, to yeah. be nominated. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked it. I li- yeah, yeah. No, of course I liked it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank I'd you, love Scott. To plenty of bill off the record. Off the record, <laughs> let's do it. Are you on a uh, social media? I am. My, yeah, I'm my Instagram, or I don't do anything else. Occasionally, some people poke at me on Facebook, but I don't go on there much. Oh, but the um, but the um, I, Instagram, I like taking pictures. That's yes, fine. it's just Scott Whitman. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's or SM Whitman, right. maybe. Yeah. SM Whitman. Yeah. What is All that right. for? Michael. Michael. <laughs> Scott Michael. Thank you, Scott. You're amazing. Thanks, Sinatra Ice Cubes. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll add those in post. Thank you. That was fun. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. <laughs> Come back next week for singer and actress Laura Benanti coming in to chat about Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes. Other upcoming guests include four-time Tony-winning lighting designer Kevin Adams and from the National Company of Hello Dolly, Tony-nominated Broadway diva Carolee Carmelo. This episode was recorded at CDM Studios in New York City and was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Special thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because Nolan with an A is an A. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.